from 99.9 The Fan. This is The Drive with Tim Donnelly. Sponsored by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. Alongside Joe Giglio, I'm Joe Ovias. Dennis Cox is the producer of this program. Georgia Bulldogs did it again. Can they do it a third time? There was an incredible moment on the broadcast last night with David Pollock, a Georgia guy, as um, he was sitting here talking about how things are just not slowing down for Georgia and Kirby Smart, and and this is like the new dynasty. Georgia's running, and Nick Saban's sitting right there. <laughs> sitting right there. But it kind of is indicative as to what we really saw last night. We'll get into that in a little bit. Plus, uh, after we joked around about a conversation regarding the Carolina Panthers head coaching job, David Tepper, owner of the Panthers, seems to have a type. We'll explain. Let's log on to the internet, shall we? What's Trending is brought to you by GEICO. you got a choice of ways that you can save on car insurance. Call 1-800-947-AUTO. Go online at GEICO.com or stop by the GEICO office nearest you. Let's get it. I've been saying for weeks that I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to lose their first playoff game. I even doubled down on it yesterday when I said, look, Dallas is in a perfect position losing to Washington will actually help the Cowboys all of that as a preface up until this point today where Mike McCarthy gets the dreaded vote of confidence from Cowboys owner Jerry Jones I mean not what I wanted to hear Joe Jones went on a radio interview and talked about how here's the quote Joe I can't tell you how much confidence I've gotten Mike and our coaching staff being on top of where we are with this team right now. They've got every nuance. Except, you know, clock management. Last part mine. But <laughs> I don't want the dreaded vote of confidence. Not now. No, Jerry. I told you. Like the fire, Jerry. All week. Yeah, the J- Jerry, Jerry is clearly sucking on it all week here. I told you, man. Told you. Uh, when I when I got a look at, you know, we talked about this yesterday, who's the contenders, who are the pretenders. There's two conversations here. There is the Dallas Cowboys and what people see in the Dallas Cowboys and a team that perpetually comes up short. There's going to be a larger conversation about Dak Prescott, by the way, if they come up short in the postseason again. And I'm fine. At some point, you do need to produce if you're positioned as a perennial MVP type player which is what Dak Prescott is and if you're the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys if I'm going to be harsh on Aaron Rodgers who's won a Super Bowl well then yeah we're going to be harsh on Dak Prescott simple as that and then there's the Mike McCarthy vote of confidence my dude is good for one like head slapping moment you go Mike what are you doing dude what what the clock look at the clock like that sort of thing right it's usually at the worst possible time, too, I will say. I just feel that Tom Brady still has one more moment in him, and I'm going to continue to believe he has that moment. Now, the what a moment is has shifted. It's not a Super Bowl moment, but he can certainly beat America's team on the lone NFL game of the night, don't you think? I mean, the spotlight is on him. I will. You're on to something there. Okay. Just saying. I, I felt a lot better about this before the vote of confidence. I'm just, <laughs> I'm shook. All right. Next up. One of the four, all of the four, or half of the four. So I think everybody 
is in agreement that the college football offseason is a bit of a mess. While I can be a proponent of name, image, and likeness, I think, Jillio, you're in the same boat, too. This is how things work now. And there's a lot of benefit for the players. And there's a benefit for the schools if they have their ducks in a row. However, college football moves at such a lightning pace that it's hard to keep up with what's going on. You've got two signing days now. You've got the signing day in December. You've got the signing day in February. It's got to the point now where schools are releasing basically press packs on their transfer classes to go along with their recruiting classes so you have a better idea of who's coming in and everything else. So this is from the AFCA executive director, Todd Barry, who spoke with some media folks after the college football championship. He said that after football coaches meetings that there's interest in moving the high school signing date up before the transfer portal opens might be the first Wednesday in December or right after Thanksgiving, quote, it's so chaotic right now. Okay, so if we all agree things are chaotic right now, Jillio, am I losing my mind here? But wouldn't moving the early signing day to when they want to do it add to more chaos? What typically happens the week between Thanksgiving and that first Wednesday or whatever in December? Even more coaching turnover. Coaches get fired yeah. during that time. So what you want to happen is a coach to get fired followed by a recruiting class day? Come on now. The early signing period should be before the season starts. Most of these guys commit before their senior year anyway. Lock them up. Sign them up. Give them a contract. Mm-hmm. And move it along. It only makes sense. Which is why they won't do it. Correct. Next up. North Carolina is headed up to Charlottesville tonight, 9 o'clock tip. Tar Heels are a four-and-a-half-point underdog. Last year, Joe, North Carolina ended a seven-game losing streak to Virginia. However, the Tar Heels still have a seven-game losing streak at John Paul Jones Arena. Do you know the last time UNC won in Charlottesville? I'll give you a hint. I, I want to say... I'll give you a hint. Tyler Zeller scored a game-high 20 points, and John Henson had a double-double. Oh, geez. So this was like... Was 2012? February 25th, 2012. Okay. Is the last time Carolina won at Virginia. Oh, to say that Tony Bennett has had the heels number would be a bit of an understatement. For all of you out there who want me to tell you how great Tony Bennett is, I can tell you, inarguably, he has the best record against Carolina of any coach who's been in the league for 10 years. Is that going to change tonight? Virginia's pretty desperate right now, not playing at the level that they need to be playing. Yeah. And they're at home. It's late. I mean, to me, it comes down to how will Carolina's guards do against the pack line defense. Mm-hmm. Can't run, you can't use a lot of screens against Virginia. There's got to be a lot of handoffs cuz they switch so much, they hedge so much. So for whatever reason, we'll see what Hubert Davis cooks up because at the end of Roy's tenure there, he really really struggled with Virginia. Now, in defense of Virginia's season so far, um 
if we've done this with some other teams in the ACC, it's fair enough to do it with Virginia as well. They lost to arguably the best team in the country, Houston. Yeah, I wasn't worried about that. I'm talking about the, the ACC losses that they have. Well, one of them is Miami, who could very well be a really good team in this league. Sure. And Pitt has been the interesting surprise. They, they probably shouldn't lose to Pitt, though. But there's a lot of teams. Where they are. Well, f- fair. Older. But Pitt has beat some teams along the way that you go oh, at no, four Pitt's... and one. That you're like, oh, okay. Oh, the Clemson lost. Pitt and Clemson are, well, you know, way ahead of where anybody would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. And better games than anyone would have thought. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, your Virginia. What we saw in the in the non-conference was, mm-hmm. this is not 2019 Virginia, but it's probably 16, 17, yeah. in that neck of the woods where they got some guys who, it, it, older guys too. And the way that they're defending again, give them a real chance to, you know, run up this thing and win the league. I expect them to win the league. I'm not sure anymore, though. Georgia Tech and Notre Dame are also in action tonight. Tomorrow, we've got uh, a bevy of games that are in league play, including an interesting matchup between Pitt, as we talked about, coming to Cameron Indoor Stadium to take on Duke. It's the battle of the XK assistants, the battle of guys who could have been coached. One of them is at Duke. That's at 7 o'clock tomorrow at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Next up. Number two. Ladies and gentlemen, Kirby Smart, Georgia head football coach, was absolutely on one last night before the game. And when you hear these comments, it might make more sense as to why Georgia did what they did to TCU in the CFP final. Let's start with the thing that we all heard first, and that was the pregame comments he made to Holly Rowe where it sounded straight out of a WWE shoot promo. What do you need to see from your team early, particularly as you start on defense right now? Aggression. <laughs> That's it? That's what we want to do. You're we're, fi- we're, we're going to hunt tonight. We're going to do the best we can to hunt tonight. What is the one quality that you possess that makes you think that you can walk out here and come into the ring and face the very best in the business? Ruthless aggression. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of in the pregame when he said that. I was like, "Whoa, whoa!" It, it, it was. It he was. Is, he's he's ready. It was ruthless aggression. Uh, look, what happened against Ohio State on New Year's Eve is the perfect storm for a head football coach who wants the team to come out and really put the hammer down in the game that matters the most, the championship game. I know it sucked for you, Joe, mm. but it was great for Kirby Smart. Uh, as we were joking about earlier today, Kirby was able to go to the locker room and said, y'all messed around and you almost found out. So let's not have that happen again and put the hammer down. You had to, for as boring as some people wanted to make out, make that game out to be, that had to be right up your wheelhouse. You love it when teams go out there and do <laughs> what Georgia did, embarrass yeah. another team with the talent I, that they have. I've said this many times during this football season. If you're about that life, be about that life. That's what Georgia was. And I, I don't think we should be prisoners of the moment and think, oh, Georgia's won two in a row. They're going to win the next five championships. I don't think we should be prisoners of the moment and say, Georgia was this much better than everyone else in college football. Because the truth is, Georgia's fastball was unbeatable. Yeah, But Georgia wasn't unbeatable. Ohio State had Georgia last week. They just couldn't close the door on Georgia. And that was the exact thing that Kirby Smart needed. Because that team, you know, they lost five first-round picks, Joe. That's no joke. 
That, that's, that is Alabama-esque right there. To be able to replace five first-round picks, go unbeaten, and win the national championship, only Nick Saban can do that. So you have to remember the, the classes they've stacked, right, and the talent that they mm-hmm. have. The truth of the matter is, when they were at their best, we saw this against Tennessee. We saw it last night. They were no doubt the best team in the country, but they were somewhat lucky to be there last night. And I don't know how. Uh, I actually had a conversation with Kevin Keats this morning. I don't know how Ryan Day lives with himself. Like, I don't know how coaches do it. What, that he could have had it? He could have been there? Right. I mean, you lose a game like that, and you're mm-hmm. like, I, I I, don't know how he sleeps. Like, how do you sleep? You can't. You had it. You should have a big ring on your hand right now. Well, there are coaches who also can't even enjoy the wins. I think it was with Scott Van Pelt. Kirby Smart was like, yeah, I'll be getting back to work on Wednesday. Like, you can't even enjoy it. I mean, I, I remember reading a GQ profile on a guy who, it was on Nick Saban. And one of the main sources of the story was a guy in Birmingham who got to be friends with Nick Saban because he was the one guy in Birmingham who didn't give a damn about college football. So he, they met him on the go- he met him on the golf course, like one of those classic cases. Because you do this, and what do you do? You show up, yeah, on a golf course, like, hey, I need an extra, or like, hey, let's just get out there. And that's exactly how it played yeah. out. The guy was like, hey, so what do you do? And Nick didn't think he thought he was joking. He's like, no, I didn't know. So they got to be friends, and. Uh, in the GQ article, the guy who was Nick Saban's friend said, yeah, I called him after winning one of these national championships, and he sounded miserable because I had to go out there on the recruiting trail that following week. So even if you win it, college football seems like a miserable experience at the time. Yeah, Roy Williams famously said when they won the, his first national title mm-hmm. in 2005, all he could think about was the next day he needed to go talk to Tyler Hansborough <laughs> and make sure that he had the next big thing did, now did, did you see what we did last night keep in mind that turned into his second title of course but that's how those guys think it's, it's not about what you just did it's man, what you're going to do next it's crazy it's crazy we heard the sanitized version of what Kirk, kirby smart had said the, uh, and the uh the reader's digest version Here, here's the full one. this is this is audio that popped up on uh, on the internet last night and it is unreal check all the beeps Kirby Smart in audio that got from the locker room that made its way out into the internet, and I guess he's referencing some sort of production meeting. Um, yeah, that's the Mister Allen assault. I was like, who said what? Now you talk about finding slights. Well, speaking of slights, because after the game, you're like, nobody doubted us. Everybody doubted us. We were going to be seven so, and five. So here's here's Nolan Smith of Georgia, who didn't play in this game last night, but he was there, you know, on the sidelines, hyping everybody up, everything else. And here's here's. Do you have that tweet, Dennis? I put it at the top of the doc. So here is uh, audio of the sideline interview with Nolan Smith of Georgia, and catch the end of this because it's hilarious. 
you were going to be this team's biggest cheerleader, and you have been. You cheered them through four quarters of incredible football. What were you most proud of tonight? Man, we played our game tonight, and it showed. You know, we haven't played perfect all year. We had airs and flows throughout our season. But tonight was our perfect game. That was our connection game. We was cheering for everybody. And we was just playing for more than ourselves. We was playing for the G. And I just love all these guys, man. This was a perfect season and a team that was doubted in the beginning of the year. Was this an exclamation mark on such a special year? That's all I got to say. They thought we was going to go seven and five. <laughs> we end up perfect. I could talk trash now because I'm done. I'm a dog for life, and I will always be a dog. Back-to-back -back rings. Did you ever believe so that who, this was possible? Yeah, who the, said Georgia was going to go 7-5? and Preseason number three, they had three first-place votes. <laughs> that 7-5 and five does not No, <laughs> Nobody said you were going 7-5. and five. But isn't that college athletics? Nobody. Man? That's college athletics. That's a, that's a true LeBradford Smith moment for, for Kirby Smart and, my and the goodness. dogs. My goodness. It's like when Nick Saban starts talking about, you know, people counting us out or whatever. Or when Tom Brady says things like, yeah, you know, you all doubt. No, no, nobody doubts Not you, anymore. Not anymore. Just stop it already. You can buy Giovanni Carmazzi's goat farm. Yes. That was from Maria Martin, who's a uh, local reporter uh, who had talked to Nolan Smith. <laughs> Seven and five. Next up. The number one story of the day. We're number one. We're number one. So, the Carolina Panthers have a coach yet? We'll give that answer next. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I heard Pat Welter over at WRL is going to talk to Lyle Wildgoose. That's like the name everybody remembers from the Ice Caps, who are going to get honored tonight at PNC. I Arena. Like he was a devil's assistant for. For a minute. Yeah. So uh, at 6 o'clock, we'll bring you uh, a portion of my conversation with former Ice Caps captain Jimmy Powers. Still in the area. He runs, uh, he owns Piper's Tavern out in North North Raleigh. That's like North North Raleigh now these days. Uh, all that kind of stuff has uh, changed nomenclature over time. So we'll bring you a part of that conversation at 6 o'clock. One other note about the college football playoff. You'll be shocked to know that the ratings for the college football playoff final dropped as the game got more and more out of hand. ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPNU, which all had their casts, averaged 17.2 million viewers for that destruction on Monday night. That's the lowest title game since the BCS era started in 1999. Well, yeah. Wasn't competitive. It happens that way. Speaking of competitive, it's a very competitive field to get an NFL coaching job. There's only 32 of them. The Carolina Panthers are in the process of trying to find the Matt Rule replacement. Interim head coach Steve Wilkes interviewed for the job today officially. That was on the books. But he's, an, he's only one of the candidates that's a defensive coordinator. There was a report that there's, what is it, D'Amico Ryan for the 49ers uh, might be on the Panthers' radar, but all of the national media folks 
have pointed out a variety of different offensive coordinators, guys who are quarterbacks. That's the hotness right now. Never think that the NFL is progressive. And I don't mean that in in terms of minority hiring. I'm talking about it's a very copycat league. If one team had a young coach who kind of changed the game, they're going to try to find the next guy who can do the exact same thing. Who's my next Sean McVay? Who's my next Mike McCarthy? Or I'm sorry, Mike McDaniel, who we still don't know. I do that all the time. Who we still don't know what all Macs look alike. What do you want? So we don't know who the next, we don't know who that next guy is. And we talked to Mike K about this, who covers the Carolina Panthers. And he said something to us that I thought was something that needs to be said more. Own the mistakes of the guys you thought would be great head coaches, right? Nathaniel Hackett's one yeah. of these examples. And he said, look, I had covered Nathaniel Hackett. I thought that he would work out well in Denver. Obviously, we know how that played out. Guy didn't even understand clock management. Um, he had pointed out Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni ends up being, because he was in Philadelphia covering the Eagles before he had joined the uh, the Carolina Panthers beat, and he brought up a good point about Nick Sirianni, that here he comes in, he takes over play calling, something he's never done before, and the Eagles were not good to start. He ends up giving it to the offensive coordinator. and you Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen, who's somebody who's going to interview for this job, and things turn around. So I, I'm bringing this up to illustrate a point. We never talk about the guys who you think are going to be the next hot things and flame out. There's more of them than there are Sean McVeighs. Sure. And we always think the rule, the exception is the rule. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. Nope. It absolutely is not. So, But you had it right. It's a copycat league. Yeah. So if you can find somebody who you think can scheme up your offense, well, you know, that's probably how it's going to go, especially when... The last successful defensive assistant to turn into a head coach was Sean McDermott, mm -hmm. who, as we know, with Brian Dayball, had the right guy. And that's a formula that the Panthers can copy. Obviously, the Bills copied it because it was Ron Rivera. Mm -hmm. You know, that was McDermott leaving Rivera and the, and, the, and the GM being up in Buffalo from Carolina as well. Of course, you know, you know what helps is that at one point, you know, Sean McDermott had Cam Newton when he was a defensive for sure. coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, and they've got Josh Allen now with Buffalo Bills. So that's just as important. And that's the part that I hope that people understand. Steve Wilkes did a really great job scrambling to get to 6-6. Six and six. That's one more win in 12 games as an interim head coach with a shell of a team than Matt Rule was ever, ever able to muster in his two full seasons with the Carolina Panthers. And I hope that the way things played out today is that Wilkes has a plan that does exactly what you just laid out, Julio. Look, I know my limitations. Good leaders know their limitations. I'm a defensive guy. I understand that. So we're going to bring in the offensive coordinator of your dreams. Who's the guy you want? I'll work with him. He's the play caller. And obviously we're going to come up with a plan to get the next quarterback. As you mentioned, next year is probably going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a bridge year for the Panthers. But here's another thing that Steve Wilkes should stress. We can still win this division like we almost did this year because if you thought the NFC South was bad this year, well, there's probably not going to be a Tom Brady in it next year, and it's there for the taking. That's what you got to stress. And if practicality rules today, if understanding and contact rules today, then there should be no question that Steve Wilkes gets this job. But it doesn't work that way in the NFL, unfortunately. I don't know who the next guy is going to be. And if it's some some next hotshot offensive coordinator, 
don't be surprised if I just shrug my shoulders and go, hey, man, it's probably going to be more of the Nathaniel Hackett or whatever than it is going to be well, a Kyle of, Shanahan or Sean McVay. That's where you're rolling the dice either way. Mm-hmm. You know, think about it. Mike McDaniel was worth was working with Kyle Shanahan, didn't call his own plays. He was. So you don't know. You don't know how a guy's going to turn out. Hackett, same type of situation with LaFleur up in uh, Green Bay. I mean, I mean, LaFleur's got a pretty large control up there. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to know. You know, this is what allegedly has been holding Eric Bieniemy back, is that Andy Reid technically calls the plays. So it's tough to know, but it is interesting that McDaniel's given the chance down in Miami, and it turns out. It works out. Sirianni, Sirianni is the same way because he was with the Colts. Yep. And, you know, he gets a chance in Philly, and he really uh, has made the most of it. Let me uh, – I'll, I'll pose the question to you that uh, our friend Luke DeCock at the News and Observer posed to me earlier today. Let's say all things being equal, Joe Brady was still the offensive coordinator, and he gets elevated, and they go 6-6. Six and six. Yeah, because of the offensive. How does that play out? Side of the ball, too. Are we even having this question? Probably not. Yeah. You know, because Joe Brady with like zero. Let's never forget Joe Brady after one season was viewed as a potential next head coach somewhere. I know. Never forget Interview that. too, yeah. So it kind of, I just laid all this stuff out because we have to be honest about how we talk about these things. And Steve Wilkes is already dealing with a stacked deck. So let's see if David Tepper, the smart businessman, actually makes a smart business decision when it comes to the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So tonight, the Carolina Hurricanes are having a North Carolina night. Really cool concept. I love that they're doing this. I love that under Tom Dundon's ownership, they've tapped into four obvious sale opportunities. I mean, they're selling T-shirts and things like that. They've tapped into history of hockey here in North Carolina or the franchise. Without Tom Dundon, we don't get the whale back on the ice. All right? He, He knows that people love the whalers stuff. So, tapped into that. We've seen Whalers Nights. They've been a hell of a lot of fun. Tonight, they're going to be doing the warm-ups in the Raleigh Ice Caps uniforms. That was the ECS, ECHL team for the for here in Raleigh that played at Dorton Arena. Did you notice in that sweatshirt that we gave away today? Mm-hmm. They had the patches, the same patches that the Canes have on their jersey. Yes. The state of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the little Canes logo, too. Yes. Really cool. Nice touch. I think this is going to go over so well tonight that they actually need to play a game 
on like like yeah they have hurdles to that because of the NHL mm-hmm. they they're more apt to do the warm up you know the hockey fights cancer they do their warm ups in that there's a military appreciation that they do warm ups in yeah but they have a harder time I think the threshold in in hockey is they give you one alternate jersey mm-hmm. and then I think you have to actually switch to that alternate in order to wear it in a game. Well, those reverse retros, there's nothing stopping them from doing a blue one. They could. Like, it's got the cane stuff on it, but there's nothing wrong. There's nothing. Uh, it, it literally it's always is a, a loophole. I reverse, forgot about the reverse retro. Retro. Okay. Yeah. The reverse retro is a loophole, and there's nothing stopping the canes from getting away from red and really doing a retro that is blue, which would tie into the ice caps. But these are things for down the line. One thing uh, about the Carolina Hurricanes that we went over to the eye today, and a lot of folks hit me up on Twitter like, Where's the stadium series stuff? So I'll I will give to you the information that I know. It's not all the information, it's just what I know. First things first when it comes to the outdoor game or the stadium series game. The Carolina Hurricanes are not the ones in charge of it. It's the NHL. The NHL goes by its own schedule. If the Carolina Hurricanes were in charge of the stadium series on their own, my guess is as good as their marketing department is, we'd have jerseys. We would know what's going on. We would know the events that were going on. We would know what the jerseys look like and things like that. But clearly there's been some sort of odd delay. I mean, my understanding is that we were supposed to know what the jerseys were at the end of the year, last year. There's still, for whatever reason, Adidas and the NHL are holding off on unveiling what the jerseys are. I've seen some leaks. I don't know if that's the one or not, but we'll see. Um, My understanding is it's very close to the reverse retro. Fine. Whatever. But we don't know about, like, parking, activities, or any of that stuff yet. Hopefully the NHL will start to release some information about that in the near future. Because right now I know folks are clamoring. Because it's been... I don't think... I think the ramp-up was... And once it got to New Year, Mm -hmm. I think this area, particularly with basketball, still kind of feeling its way. Right? Maybe. You know, Carolina not breathing fire. uh, Duke struggling. Mm -hmm. State, you know, two nice wins last week, but... I think a lot of people have turned their attention to this game. Mm-hmm. Remember, as we saw on Twitter last week in the relay, I think it was Hayes Permar who said, Seattle gets an outdoor game next year. Cool. Yeah. After two years, you know, we had to wait 20. <laughs> right. So, I mean, but it feels like it was announced 20 years ago. It does feel like I that. remember being at the NC State press conference at Carter-Finley Stadium. The picture you still see in the News Observer is my picture that mm-hmm. I took from the press box of the cones being outlined. Little did we know that day mm-hmm. that just about an hour before Dave Doran had his weekly presser, Gary Bettman was on a tour of mm-hmm. the facility. Mm-hmm. And that's what the cones were showing, where the ice would be set up. I mean, that was what, 16, 17? Uh, because it was a good full, it was at least a year or two before Dundon <laughs> even got involved in the process. It was no, no. 2018. It was, I took it was the 18? Photo. Yeah, it was 2018. It was okay. 2018, and Dundon had actually gotten into that process. When did uh, when did Dundon take over? Dundon took over in I want to say 16, 16 okay. or 17. Okay, but that was one of the first things that Dundon wanted to do. Right. I mean, one of the first things he, he fixed to the do, scoreboard, which was great, which was good, and then he started going after that outdoor game. And like with all things NHL in this area, they slow walk this stuff, and I've never understood why. Well, you can't predict the the pandemic and everything else. And- no, I'm saying about getting the outdoor game in general. Right. Okay. Um, and it's something that when the last time Gary Bettman was in town, you know, he had talked about, oh, well, you know, Raleigh has stepped up. And I says, Raleigh always steps up for these things. If there's one thing that Raleigh loves, we love a big event. Okay. When we had the draft, we had the NHL draft at that arena and people showed out yeah. for it when people didn't think it would happen. So th- this market has a consistent 
success rate when it comes to big events in the Carolina Hurricanes, or really any big event in general. So I don't think the Stadium Series game is going to be any different, and yet we still have to fight that battle in this town, and it gets annoying after a while. You mentioned uh, you mentioned NC State. We had a we had a Hey Joe question earlier today that I kind of chuckled at, and it was about Joe Lenardi at ESPN who does bracketology, and I guess I didn't see it. I'm just going on what the listener told me because I'll be honest, I'm not paying attention to Joe Lenardi right now. He that, did have him as the AQ. I think it was just a mistake, though. Okay, so he's got NC State as the AQ out of the ACC for Meaning the NCAA he tournament. He has them as the ACC champions, but he, they wouldn't be a nine seed as the ACC champions. I mean, anything's possible, right? True. I mean, NC State could be on the outside looking in and going to run. But that's right? not how you do bracketology. You don't project who's going to win. You do it based on what the standings are right now. So, okay, I guess that's the case. I I will say this for NC State. As uh, as we get into the thick of conference play this week, a week ago, if you asked me if they're going to make the NCAA tournament, I would have told you no. But a week later, with wins over Duke and a key win at Virginia Tech this past weekend, I would say, why not? Of course, those things can get away from you real quick if you lose a bunch of games, but they got another opportunity on Saturday against Miami. One of the better teams in the league, at least records wise. Oh, they still have it wrong on their bracketology. They still website. have it wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe it's not wrong. Maybe that's what they want. Maybe that's what Joe Lenardi's saying. I will say this though, y'all. Bracketology on June tenth, uh, January tenth. No, don't don't do that. Because I do think tying it back to Carolina, who's in action tonight against Virginia. I think last year, what happened with the Tar Heels is something we're going to have to get used to more of in the ACC. We actually were talking about this with West Durham last week when he was in town for that Duke-NC State game. That regardless of what you think of Duke and how they've looked right now, who's to say they don't catch fire and go on a little bit of a run? Teams that have started out hot in ACC play, Clemson's the usual suspect in this situation, eventually falls off. There could be a key injury or whatever it is. All this is to say, that I think the way that Carolina went about business last year, where everybody was freaking out at the end of January because they they looked bad against Wake Forest, that Hubert Davis said, they're just better than us. And turning it around is going to be more of the same for ACC play for a variety of reasons. A lot of it has to do with the transfer portal and a combination of guys coming in transfer-wise, freshmen all trying to coalesce into a team, and it might happen a little bit later than we would like. You talked about... Uh, Roy Williams winning a championship and he was somewhat miserable after the fact because he had to go out the next day and go talk to Tyler Hansburg and everything else. That group was there for four years, man. That doesn't happen anymore. That's why UNC is so unique uh, in this college basketball yeah, environment, been. you know, which is why I think, you know, I would hope, and I guess that's been the frustration with the Tar Heels because they've, they're more of an old school type of college basketball team. Something we've seen out of Carolina plenty of times. We're assigning, we're assigning expectations to them that maybe we have to get away from. Sure, but we're past the point of whatever the preseason expectations are. Yep. And you know what tonight is, since I have my example now, mm-hmm. if you're about that life, he'll be about that life tonight. Take care of Virginia. I think it happens tonight. I think it happens tonight. I'm, I'm with you in that playing Virginia under Tony Bennett requires an immense amount of focus offensively against that pack line defense. Something that Carolina has not shown. It's patience, cons- too. Yeah, and that's 
That's something that Caleb Love doesn't necessarily do all the time, and it could be a liability in that case. But he could go off. He could go <laughs> off. So we'll see what happens tonight. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.